0: i like to go to the book of Jude, the book of Jude, a very small, little book, It's a very controversial little book, but there's some things that we can learn from there, and that's what we want, right? We want to learn what the Lord is saying to us, what He's saying to His church, and specifically in these last days where we find ourselves, and so we're just so thankful that the Word of God is truth, and a lot of things will catch us by surprise because it prophesied these things would be like this in the last days, and we know that God's word is true. Heaven and earth shall pass away, my words shall not pass away. And thank God for the holy word of God that instructs us, that guides us, sometimes even have to correct us, it strengthens us, it does a lot for us for our own benefit. So praise God, let's pray tonight. Father, we just ask for the anointing tonight. We know that your word and your spirit is anointed. Use this vessel, this rail vessel, as you see fit, Lord, that you would get the glory tonight. And Lord, help me just to bring this across as as you feel led by your spirit to speak these things, even sometimes they're difficult things. But Lord, you love us so much that you want us to know those things so we can discern the world we live in, the things that are going on. We're so thankful that you love us so much that you've given us warning through your prophets and your holy word, how things are. We don't have to be caught off guard. We could be steadfast and trust in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. And so I was in the same passage, I think it was last year or maybe the beginning of the year, I was trying to remember, but I just felt led just to go right back into it and I updated this message a little bit. So the book of Jude, amen. And let me find it myself, It is right before Revelation. Very easy to find, right? So let's go with the first four verses I'd like to read real quick. It says, in the beginning of this letter, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all, delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot to be said in this chapter, a lot, a lot of examples of, uh, <laughs> of judgment and what the Lord has done in the past and how he's using Jude to warn the church about our faith. Amen. We are to contend for our faith. So in other words, we're living in a time <clears throat> where the gospel is being questioned like never before and being contended and being mocked and being questioned, and we go on and on and on. And it's very important that we stand upon faith and know this doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand the teachings of Christ to be able to stand. So when people are coming at us with this, you know, we love them. We do it in meekness and we do it with patience and we love them, right? We don't want to argue, but we still want to be able to defend our faith. If we can't defend our faith, then there is something wrong. That's meaning we got to get into the word to really understand how we're going to answer them when they ask these hard questions. And so, we all know that the name of Jesus is the most controversial name throughout the history of mankind, right? You could talk about Buddha, you could talk about Confucius, you could talk about all these other different major religions, and people get along. You know, can't we all just get along, religion kind of mentality? But when we start getting specific about God, and then specifically the name of Jesus, that's when a lot of times the tide turns and people get upset, they get convicted. And they can get get very brutal sometimes. And we know that some are under the spirit of this age and the spirit of this world. And what do we expect for people that are not saved yet? And what do we expect for people that are are deceived and don't understand the truth really? And so it's very important that we understand uh, what we believe in. And so praise God with that. So let's begin. It says, Jude is servant of Jesus Christ, verse 1, and a brother of James to those who are called Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So history tells us, and the Bible scholars say that Jude was a half-brother of Jesus and also a half-brother with James. So they were both related by blood to Jesus because of Mary. All right? So praise God for that. So he's just saying, look how humble he is. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He had a right to say, hey, I'm related to Jesus, you know, and get this recognition. But he's so humble of what he's saying. He says, first and foremost, I'm servant. Even though that's my my brother, blood brother to a point on this cert, but he's my Savior. He's my Jesus. So that's so humbling to see that. So we continue. So he says, to those who are called, and we know what called means, it's invited by God in the proclamation of the gospel to obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Through Christ, right? That's how we get into the kingdom of God, through, through Jesus and what he did at Calvary. And so verse 2 goes like this, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And it's kind of, this, this letter's a little bit different than Paul's and Peter. Usually, they would use the word grace, which is fine, right? The grace of God. But when you start really studying the word grace itself, it does have mercy in there, right? It does have love And it demonstrates so many things in that's in grace. So Jude just goes a little bit different. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And I like what he says there. He says it's multiplied to you. He's not just blessed. He said, may it be multiplied in your life. But we know all the blessings come through what Christ did at Calvary. Verse 3 goes like this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, Right? And I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, so beloved, although I was very eager right to write to you about our common salvation, right? What's the common salvation, the gospel of Jesus christ we have a we we have this common salvation that what Jesus did at Calvary we have salvation so it's not just for the rich, or it's not just for the poor, it's for everybody. Everybody has access to salvation. And that's why he calls it the common salvation. But he continues and says to write appealing to you. And so we know that the word appeal means to exhort or to call near. He's appealing to them. He's, he's trying to get their attentions about something. He was going to speak about this common salvation, but then something happens and he's going to go ahead and change it. Appealing to you to contend. For the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so we know that the word contend means to struggle, earnestly to contend. It's just like a boxer or a wrestling match. There's a, you know, they're contending for something, and it's the same thing for us. The Bible says that we wrestle not with what? Flesh and blood. It's a spiritual warfare. And it's even like that when we're presenting the gospel and those that are coming against it. So we're contending for something. And so if we're contending for something, that means that we are defending it, right? We're defending the gospel, the gospel for Jesus' namesake, right? That's the reason why he's writing this. And we're going to see why, why he's so concerned about this. So we continue. So let's go a little bit more. It says right here, it says, I'm going to read something that I got off. One of the Bible scholars, he said, we contend earnestly for the faith because it is valuable, If you walk into an art gallery and there are no guards or no sort of security system, you must draw one conclusion. There is nothing valuable in that art gallery. Valuables are protected. Worthless things are not. Amen. Is the faith worth it? The faith in Jesus Christ, what we have in it, is it worth it to defend? Oh, definitely. So we continue. So he uses the word faith content for the faith. What do you mean by what faith? Which means really this faith right here is the matter of gospel faith, historical doctrines and life-giving salvation. So this is what another Bible scholar has to say. He says, the faith doesn't mean our own personal belief or faith in the sense of our trust in God. The phrase of faith means the essential truths of the gospel that all true Christians hold in common, right? There's the gospel truth, the doctrines that it's embedded of what Christ has did for us at Calvary. There's a lot to be said there. And so it continues. We must contend earnestly for the truth. We could use that word too: truth, faith. The faith is the body of truth that very early in the church's history took on a definite form. And so it continues. That was once for all delivered to the saints. We know that the word means to deliver, to give it to hands of another. Uh, To deliver, to want something to keep, use, take care of, manage. And so why? Why is Jude bringing this up, the first three verses? Well, verse 4 is going to tell you why, the seriousness of what's going on. He says, verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for the condemnation of, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God and sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a heavy indictment right now. Just that verse within itself speaks volumes of what is going on. So he's saying, man, certain people are just crept into the church. They're acting like they're believers. They're acting like they're a part of the body of Christ. But they come into the church, the body of Christ, with an agenda. They have come to uh, distort the gospel, pervert it. They've come to bring division with the body of Christ. And this is what Jude is trying to warn. He's given a lot of info in just this one verse of what's what's been going on with these people. And so it's crept. So what does crept mean? They have for certain people have crept in unnoticed crept to enter in to enter secretly. To enter secretly. Right? Like under stealth, under the radar, they've come into the body of Christ. It also means, crept in means to slip in secretly as if by a side door. Robertson says this out of his commentary. Satan knows right well that one devil in the church can do far more than a thousand devils outside her bounds. And it's true. That's why Jude is warning the church about this, what they're doing. They're coming into the church, you know, under radar they're bringing in their, their false teachings and their false lifestyles. So we continue. So it's doing what? Crypto-noticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. In other words, they're already condemned. They're de- designated to this. Designated to de- designate early. Condemnation. who ago were marked out for this condemnation. These certain men have a destiny, the destiny of every false teacher and leader. They are marked and destined for this condemnation. It is enough to say that they are ungodly men. They are ungodly simply in the sense that they are not like God, and no matter the outward appearances, they disregard God. <laughs> ungodly people. Ungodly men, destitute of reverential awe towards God, condemning God and pious. They have no fear of God. None whatsoever. And what is their agenda? This is what their agenda is. Who pervert the grace of our Lord of the grace of our God into sensuality? Who pervert the grace of our God. To pervert means to transfer to other purpose, to pervert. And sensuality means (laughs) lasciviousness, wantonness, shamelessness. It just goes on and on. But I like another definition. Another Bible scholar was saying he used the word lewdness. So it says the idea behind the ancient word lewdness is sin that is practiced without shame, without any sense of conscience or decency. Usually the word is used in the sense of sensual sins, such as sexual immorality. But it can also be used in the sense of brazen, anti-biblical teaching, When the truth is denied and lies are taught without shame, Jude probably had both ideas in mind here, because as the rest of the letter will develop, these certain men had both moral problems and doctrinal problems. That's a lot to say, huh? That's a lot. So what do we mean by that? That uh, pervert the grace of God into sensuality. But we can go to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says this. This is what we talk about, preaching grace but not preaching the balance of grace. So this is what Paul says in verse 1. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, verse 2. How can we who die to sin still live in it? So this is saying we've been redeemed and all that, so we are not to continue into a sinful lifestyle. It doesn't mean that we're going to live it perfectly, but there will be a change And these false prophets no, They were the opposite of that. Always remember that when the gospel is compromised or perverted or it's twisted to man's own devices that they can gain out of it, not only is it going to be that, that it's corrupt, but it's also going to be a perverted lifestyle in their own personal life. So every time there's corruption, usually their personal lifestyle is going to be very corrupted and very perverted, and that's what you see. And so Paul even warns about this about perverting the grace of God when he says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you of God, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is, no, there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort, or what I would say the word corrupt, the gospel of Christ. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should Preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So we see a pattern here. They twisted the gospel. They're twisting the words. They're twisting the different doctrines of the gospel truths to their own perversion, to their own liking. The sad thing about it is we go continuing in this scripture. This is a heartbreaker. Says and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny Jesus who he is. They deny he's the Messiah. They deny he's the king. They deny that he's the Lord. They deny that he's Savior, just in their own lifestyles. They do not acknowledge who he is. It says, and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) There's a lot right here to be said about this. And we all know what the word deny means. It's to disclaim and to disown. They deny the Lord who, of who he is, priest, prophet, and king, right? Those are all fulfilled in the word of God. But I like this scripture from Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 15. It's, it's a heartbreaker, but listen to this scripture and it lines up to what I just told you. It says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So their lifestyle is showing a contrary to what the true word of God would say in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said you, would know, you shall know them by their fruit, whether the fruit is going to be good or whether it's going to be bad. There's going to be fruit in every person's life. It's a heartbreaker. I, I, I say these things like there's no joy in it. It just really is. <clears throat> My job sometimes is to warn the flock that there are faults, teachers, and preachers around. That's the job of a shepherd, right? You are to warn when there are wolves that are coming in trying to deceive the flock, trying to come in and bring division, trying to come and bring in their own doctrines and bring confusion and all that. And it's up not only to the pastor, but the leadership, the elders, and those that are, even those in the congregation that are mature in Christ and understand the doctrines, to be able to watch that. We are to watch for one another. And this is why, because i want to give you what happens when false teachers start twisting the Word of God? It can get so bad that, that it's, I mean, this one right here just shakes me. I don't know if you, any of you ever heard of the Jesus died spiritually doctrine. Has anyone ever heard of that teaching? I mean, this is as demonic as it gets. So they'll use this scripture here. Look, I'm going to show you an example. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And, and this is a beautiful scripture, but it can be twisted if people don't study it. Look into the Greek. And this is what Paul says, and it. it says, For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who you knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to that. For our sake, God, he, it says he, but I'm saying God made him, Jesus, to be sin. Now, when you listen to that, you're like, wow. It sounds like what it says, just at face value. But you have to understand what it's meaning. It's saying, for our sake, God made Jesus to be a sin offering, and that's, that's the game changer. There's a big difference between saying that about Jesus being a sin offering and then becoming literally sin. He did not become sin. There's no way. We are talking about the Son of God. Sin was imputed upon him on the cross. It was put upon him, right? He took our place. It says, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's right, because he died what we deserved. He took our sin upon Himself, and now in exchange, because of the sacrifice, and we repent and call upon His name, we get the righteousness of God in our life. And so they twisted it by saying that Jesus became literally sin, which is contrary to the Word of God. If Jesus became sin, then He would have never took care of our sins on the cross, because it would not be considered to God, in the Father's eyes, a perfect sacrifice. He had to be, uh, you know, a lamb without spot and sinless. And so if you continue in this, Jesus died spiritually, doctrine, and they also speak about uh, it became sin. And they're teaching, they believe, because what Christ did at Calvary, since Christ became sin, that man has exchanged that, and now they become like little gods. And this is crazy, I'm telling you, like little little God. And so it just keeps going on and on. They have even said Jesus has, had to become born again in hell when he was being tormented. They're, I mean, just, this is crazy. So I'm just showing you an example of what happens. We get one scripture, and they twist it out of the context, and they just twist it for their own doing, and then you get this crazy doctrine that has nothing to do, to do to the, with the truth. And the scary thing about it. There's other things that they twist, but when we start playing around with the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, what he did at Calvary, that's a serious indictment. We do not want to play in any shape or form what Christ has did for us at Calvary. To the Father's eyes, that was a holy moment when His Son died for our sins. And for someone to twist a word like that, <laughs> I, would, I would want to be around on it. Praise it not, not the sacrifice. He gave His very best. We know the Scripture. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That blood is precious. <clears throat> but it just shows you what can happen when we're not paying attention, when people are preaching or teaching. We have to listen. So I'm just saying, please, as... You're listening to those over the radio, cable, because I'm not here to put anyone down. Don't look, Don't you know, I'm, I'm better than not. I'm just saying just be careful of some of the things that you are hearing. I'm not calling out no names. I'm not saying, I'm just saying if you're, if you're rooted and grounded in Christ, if you understand the simple doctrines of the gospel, you'll be able to d- detect some things, say, well, I'm going to turn that off because they're going way out in the left field. That just doesn't sound right. And we're not being mean. We're not being cruel, but we have to be careful of who we're listening to and who we are following. Jude chapter 1, verse 17 through 19 says this, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they were prophesying how things would be in the last days. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these people who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, and so they're acting like they're believers, but they're really not. They're the spirit of the world. It says right here, they're devoid of the spirit. They're worldly. And scoffers means mockers. I said that the last time at the other Sunday when I was speaking out of Second, uh Peter chapter 3. You know, they're mocking, always mocking the things of God. Now, I'm going to say something, and you might say, okay, whatever, but, and I'm, I, I don't like the word spill when it comes to the blood of Jesus. And I've heard it in songs. I'm, I'm just, this is just me. I'm not saying, uh, I just, I don't know. I just, you know, they'll say, I know, I know that they don't mean anything by it. But when you use the word spill, it's like, you know, it's an act that I spilled my milk. Or I, I like to use the word, he shed his blood, not spilled. So That's just me. That's just me. But I, I just, what, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. No, he didn't spill his blood. He shed it. For our sins, praise God! I just threw that in for free. That was for free. <laughs> and so, even Paul was giving warning. Remember, I was talking about this Sunday morning uh, with the in the book of Revelation, the first chat, uh, the first church, the uh, church of Ephesus. And I'm going to repeat it again. What Paul warned the church in the book of Acts to the to the church in Ephesus, the Ephesian leadership, and he says in Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty six through thirty two. He says, therefore, I did testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. And why is that? Because look what he says in verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Right? He gave the word as much as he could to the people that were around him. That way, there wasn't going to be any blood upon him. He gave him the good, the bad, and the ugly. He preached grace in heaven, and he also talked about hell and death. And judgment. So there was a balance here. So verse 28, then he warns them, he says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock, right? This is about the flock now. So in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He says, verse 29, I know that after mighty departure, after he passed away, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So here we have one of the fruit where we can look at when we're listening to someone. Are they drawing people to themselves or are they pointing people to Christ, right? That's what the preaching and teaching will be. We're always supposed to point them to Christ. not about pastors, not about leaders. It's the message of pointing people to God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the desire that we should have. So, and even in the next two verses, in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, 32. This is what he says. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you, everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. <laughs> so, what is, what, how do we counteract something like that? Well, like I said before, everybody in this room, in the house of God, the Father's house, is responsible to get into the Word for yourself. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights is not enough. You have to get into the Word for yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. And there's always something about when we get into the Word and we start learning it, it gives us discernment. We're able to discern things around us. We're able to discern situations. We're able to discern doctrines, whether they are true or not. That's the main thing. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, uh, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handing, handling the word of truth. Verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a worker that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Sorry about that. That's the King James Version, same, same verse. And I like the King James how it says it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. There's the reproof and the correction. One of the best examples I see in the Bible, remember when Paul went to, uh, to the Bereans, in the book of Acts, 17 chapter, what did they do? Did they just look at Paul and say, okay, Paul, we believe what you had to say, and, you know, thank you for, no. Look what it says. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 12 says this. Verse 10 goes, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night at Berea. And when they arrived, they went into this Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It is up to us to see what we're being presented in the gospel. It's up to you to see what I'm preaching to you, and not just take it for advantage. Say, hey, okay, you know, we know. Him. No, you must look at what I'm preaching and teaching and line it up with the Word of God. <clears throat> then it says in verse 12 of that same chapter, and then after that, many of them therefore believed. They heard the truth, and you have to understand where Paul was at. He was in a synagogue. They were under the law, and the Holy Spirit dealt with their heart mightily for them to receive the truth and believe. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 4 has another important scripture, and it speaks volumes. Paul is telling Timothy in this verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching and wine. Verse 3, speaks volumes. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound uh, sound teaching but have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves Teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in This is a heartbreaker. You know, I'm not against mega churches. There's some very good ones, but then there's others that the only reason they're growing is because of this. The ears are being, you know, having itching ears. The, the pastor is preaching a, a gospel of grace with no consequences, saying, you know, just all grace, all grace. Live how you want it. Just do what you want and That's not it. There is a requirement after we get saved that God will show us. And it's not like he's just going to throw us out there and say, you're going to have to do it on your own. He's given his spirit to help us to live that way. We just got to work on that, practice that. And I say it again, none of us does it perfectly. But this is why it's very important to preach the word and to teach and to rebuke and reprove. It's very important. It's very important. So I'm just using different examples of what Jude is really speaking about, how we handle when we hear things and how we push back. We have to be (laughs) in the Word and to understand um, the deception that's going on. It's sad. It really is. It really is. um, (laughs) If the Lord's present, if His Holy Spirit is not in that church, it's just another social club, another gathering of people, and that's a sad thing, and we have to be careful. We have to be careful with that. We want the presence of the Lord. We want Christ being exalted in this local church, and that's our desire, and that's what we continue to do, that He's going to be lifted up, not a man, not nobody else, but His name and what He's done for us. Praise God. <clears throat> it's a heartbreaker. I go through the YouTube videos, and I see some of the things that's going on, and it breaks my heart. I'm not... You know, we're, we're holier than thou art that, but it's just a heartbreaker. Some of the things I see because people, I'm going to be honest with you, technology has made people uh, just to really receive the word um, convenience. You know, it's easy for me just to listen, not to, you know, check what they're preaching or teaching. It's right there. And we don't check what they're saying. And we got to be careful with that. I've heard some uh, people preaching. I'm like, man, they're, they're, they're spot on. Then all of a sudden, it starts leading in a way where it's leading people in a way that we don't want to go. We definitely don't want to go that way. Hmm. Paul speaks to Titus very strongly in that letter because Titus was another young pastor like Timothy. And there was a lot of things going on on that island, and back in that day, the churches were in small homes and all that. But he was encouraging him to be bold, to speak the truth, and to rebuke even sharply because even then there was those that were coming in and bringing in a grace that's just not right, and then they were compromising the gospel with other things, and obviously um, their lifestyle is going to show what they believe about God, and that's really the truth. How we perceive God and how we look at Him is how we're going to live for Him. If we truly believe that He's a holy God, if we truly believe that He's a loving God, then we're going to want the desire to be like Him, right, to be conforming to His image. And that's the key to it. Our perception of God is what's going to show our lifestyle for Him. It's going to show what we truly believe about how much we love Him. It's very important. He gives a lot of examples. And just this one, I think it's what twenty-five verses of them right, this whole book right of Jude. He goes on to give off some more examples of what happened to the children of Israel in the desert. And they disobeyed the Lord, and then they the majority just perished in the desert. He speaks a little bit also about um the angels that disobeyed God, right? And then they were judged, and then they've been put under uh, chains until that day of judgment. And so what, what Jude is telling the church then, he's showing the example that what's going on with these false prophets as they continue, that's th- that's going to be their faith that they continue what they're doing. In other words, he's warning, don't follow them. <laughs> because where they're going is not a good place. Titus chapter two verse eleven through fifteen says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It's a powerful saying that Paul's telling Titus. It's never easy uh, to contend for the faith times. and like I say, we have to do it with the right heart. We got to do it. When those come against that, when they want to mock, when they want to ridicule, when they want to disbelieve, whatever, we still have to have a spirit of meekness to be able to talk to them, whether they receive it or not, but at least you stood your ground of what you believe. Because I will guarantee you, I know that everybody will raise their hand right now if I ask a question Has anyone asked you about your faith, or contested of it, or challenged you about it, or about the personhood of Christ, or God, or what he did at Calvary, or the resurrection? Yeah, there'll be times that people will ask and they want to hear what's our answer. So what is our answer, right? Well, the answer is in the Word. We've got to make sure that we're well versed and ready for that moment. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We must have an answer for them because they will come. They will ask. Have you ever dealt with anyone that came out that's involved in Islam or the religions, Jehovah Witness, Mormons? And what's some of the questions they ask you? They're going to ask you some, some questions. You're going to have to have them answers. And why is that? Because the way they perceive Christ is different from what we believe. Islam believes that he's just one of the five major prophets. That's as far as they'll go with Jesus. He's a prophet. No no more, no less. Mormonism and, um, and um, Jehovah, Witness believe, uh, Jehovah Witness believe that Christ was uh, created by God, which is contrary to the word of God. The Mormons believe that Christ is the brother of Lucifer, which is Satan. So, We have all these different perceptions of what other religions believe who Christ is. We have the truth. The Bible says he's the great I am. Remember? He said that to the Pharisees. He goes, before Abraham was, I am. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the light. I am the door. Jesus is expressing his deity, and that's the problem with the world, they don't have an issue with Jesus when you speak just his name and you say that he's a prophet, you say he's a good teacher, you even say he's a good miracle worker. But when we start saying that he's the Savior of the world, he's God, and that's when the issues arise because that's how this world system is. But we are still, it says, what well, with gentleness and respect, to be able to speak to these people about these things. And hopefully that the light will come on, the Holy Spirit would be able to pierce their heart to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. That's the main thing of who he is and what he's done. I've heard a lot of debates (laughs) over the years, some sharp ones too, but I've always noticed one thing. A person that just knows the simple doctrines of the gospel, just the simpleness, can still back it up and still hold their ground. And these men are great philosophers. They're, they, know all their, their, uh, their, they know the different world-renowned religions and everything else, atheism. But when it comes to someone that understands the gospel, understands Jesus, the Bible, they're able to hold their own. It's just mind-boggling, right? Isn't that what the Lord said in the book of Corinthians? That he would confound the wise with the foolish things of the world. To the world, they look at us like, we're foolish. How can you believe in a God that you didn't even see hung on that cross? And you're telling me three days later, he was resurrected? You people are nuts. You're crazy. Yes, we know that the avenue is faith. It's faith. They just don't understand that yet. But I like what Jude says at the end of this letter. Jude chapter 1, verse 23, or, or the book of verse 23. This is what he says. This is his heart. He's already gave the warnings about the false prophets. He's given warning about the judgment of those that have rebelled against God. But this is his heart's desire. He says this, save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. He says, content for the faith what he's saying, those that don't know any better, that are underneath this fall, teach them the truth because you love them. You want to snatch them out of the fire. If they continue where they're going, we know ultimately what that is, and only God is a judge overall. None of us can judge anyone's heart, but there are consequences that continue. Then it says, To others, show mercy with fear, he hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In other words, he's telling the church, reach out to those that don't understand. Have a misconception who Christ is and salvation, contend for the faith and tell them the truth, because you are concerned about their soul, and you know the outcome if they don't get saved. there's going to be a judgment day. <clears throat> Praise God. these are the truths that we will be challenged in our faith. we, we will be contested, we will be questioned. We will be mocked, ridiculed, but what are we to expect? We're still to love them. I remember when um, many people didn't know, got to witness to them, maybe years later, they got saved, they came back, say, man, thanks for uh, sharing that truth with me. I was really blind, I didn't understand, but God used you to open my eyes, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and I got saved. And that's rewarding, uh, to be able to take a stand, and it's not always easy, it's We've been ridiculed. Have you ever had somebody just mock you for someone else and make fun of your faith and who you are? And you stood your ground. You're like, hey, yeah, that's what I am. I am a Christian. I do believe in Jesus Christ. I believe all that he's done for me. I am a believer. And then for them just to, for one day to come back and say, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Why? Because the Bible says the God of this world has them blind with a veil from the gospel. But when we reach out we stand in the faith by the anointing power of the holy spirit to proclaim the truth to them there's always that chance for salvation that's what this is about jude is saying watch out for the false prophet but yet tell the people the truth about jesus so they would be pulled from the fire <laughs> they would be shown mercy of not going in that direction on that final day but then he also gives a phenomenal promise in verse 24 which we all can receive. He says, now to him who is able to keep you, us, from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So after warning and doing all that, Jude says, if we are in Christ, there is our security. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I love the promises of God. when He said he has us in his hands. He has us in his hands. We're secured in him. But we still got one of the people around us, right? We're, it's like we're in the boat, and there's all these people that are swimming and drowning around us. And we have the light boat, right? We, have, right? we can throw something to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah, to have a soul get saved. There's the old song, there's a new name written down in glory, right? And it's mine. Jesus spoke about the shepherd leaving the 99 just to go after that one. You know, it's worth it all. One soul is worth it all. The rice and gravy event, right, Saturday? One soul was won from that. Think about that. It was worth it all. One soul. For someone to enter into the kingdom of God, I would just say, just prepared. People are going to ask you questions. We're living in a very interesting time. People want some answers. <laughs> they want some kind of security. They want to know that things are going to be all right. And the only way that's going to be is they have a relationship in Jesus Christ. That's where our confidence is, because we know how this crazy world is. Sometimes <laughs> it fluctuates, but we have our blessed hope. We have hope in Christ that no matter what happens, we'll go with it if anything happens, but we are secured in Him. And that's what people need to see around us in this world, that, hey, you don't look like you're really panicking. You just seem to have a peace upon your life and a smile, and I want to know why. <laughs> Did you win the lotto or something, or what's going on? No, I have Jesus in my life. And it's going to be all right. And I don't have to worry. I just trust in him and live my life for him and give him glory. He's got me in his hands, and I can trust that because he holds tomorrow. And that's what they need. They need to know the truth. And we know what the truth says. You shall know the truth. Truth shall set you free. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We overlook the scriptures. We read them so quick. I do too. And we don't stop and just really just meditate what the Lord said at that moment. You know, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life. Is that all he said? And that more abundant, (laughs) he adds more on top of that. It's beautiful scriptures that we have. You're blessed. You're highly favored. Amen. You're the king's son. You're the king's daughter. We're in royalty. We're in this new covenant. We have a final destination. And we are the family of God. And our desire is to contend and defend that faith that others may enter into the kingdom. Amen. That's what this is about. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 25 is the last verse in this book of Jude, it says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever, amen. I like how he ends it. He gives all the glory to God through his son, Jesus Christ. This is beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The power is in the gospel. Our faith in Christ is what's going to help us to be able to witness to the people with our lives. Let your life speak volumes to those that are around you. That's how we do it. We walk in Jesus and we let that be displayed to the people that are around us. Talk to many people. Different belief systems, and I just enjoy just speaking to them about Jesus, just the simplicity that's found in Jesus Christ. The simple gospel, It's yet it's so powerful that they're like amazed with it. They're amazed with such a simple message. But that's how God orchestrated it, right? A five-year-old could understand salvation. And if their heart is ready and the Holy Spirit is doing salvation, That's how much God loves us. He made sure that the salvation message would be simple enough even for a child. Because anyways, we are to enter into the kingdom of God like a child, right? We we must become like one to enter into his kingdom. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus.